So you are ready for a big year. Yes, that's good. That's right. Thank you. We're already nearly a month in. Um, have you ever read a book that you wish you didn't read? <laughs> because it sort of gets your, uh, your soul stirred up and your passion running. Well, I read this in my first week of the holidays, which I don't think was a really wise thing to do in retrospect. But um, it's one of those books that doesn't have anything new in it. There's no you know, revelations where you go, oh, I didn't know that, now I do. It's just one of those books that goes back to basics. You read it and you go, hmm, that's where we need to be. So this is how the book starts. The first chapter is called Pack Your Coffin. A century ago, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings into coffins. So as they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved, everyone they knew. They knew they'd never return home. A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set it out to sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had martyred every missionary before him. Milne did not fear for his life because he was a child of God, because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed and for 35 years he lived among the tribe and loved them. When he died, the tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this ephitah on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? That faithfulness is holding the fort. That playing it safe is safe. That there is any greater privilege than sacrifice and that radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort, it's storming the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan, it's a daring plan. The complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical, it's normal. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. It's time to go all in and all out for the all in all. So pack your coffin. That's the first chapter. <laughs> it's a great book. Well, this year we've uh, decided that our theme is going to be to thrive. As individuals, as parents, as couples, as families, as a church, that's going to be the theme that I hope permeates and weaves through all your Bible studies and, you know, that'll be a constant thing that, that keeps coming up in our thoughts and our plans and everything that we do this year. And it's, it's not just surviving. Like Christians weren't born just to survive. We're not on this planet just to get by. We're supposed to live an abundant life. It doesn't mean we have money trees in the backyard. But if we don't respond to life and its challenges and the opportunities differently than the world does, then what difference is Christianity? It hasn't really made any difference in our life. So we're supposed to thrive. We're supposed to be not downcast, but people who have a different attitude. The Bible says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, 
when you go through trials and tribulations, that's thriving. And so for us to thrive um, is going to be different for each of us, but we really should be able to say, I'm doing well, I'm thriving. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what we're faced with, we should be people that have overcome the world, that have risen above the hardships and the things that come our way. It doesn't mean we're on easy street. It just means our attitude, our perspective, our ability to cope, our ability to see things through God's eyes rather than the world's eyes, our value system should set us up to thrive. Now, if you think of any tree, it has to dig deep if it's going to thrive. It's got to have the deepest possible root system that it can. It's got to spread out. And for you and I, that means we've got to be deep in God. We've got to have a disciplined lifestyle where we feed off God's word, where we have a strong prayer life, where we are people of worship, where our roots are going down deep. And there's a lot of people that do that and do that really well. But a tree is not just a root of, you know, ball of roots underneath the surface. That's only one part of the tree. The tree's going to grow up and out. It's going to reach out. It's going to have impact. It's going to have branches and leaves and it's going to bear fruit. And that's what we've got to get the balance right. It's no good just being a fat cat Christian and not reaching out. We've got to dig deep, grow deep in God, be anchored into him, sucking the life out of scripture, growing strong in God, and then reaching out. And too many of our churches are full of people that are digging deep, but not reaching out. And we've got to have a balance of that. So this year, we're going to look at this theme of thriving. And we're going to break it down even to just how we relate to one another. You know, a lot of people don't thrive socially because they just don't have good social skills. We need to be people that thrive, which means we've got to be willing to grow. And if you think about a root system, it's hard work digging down into the soil. And sometimes if we're going to grow in God, it's hard work, but it's rewarding work. And we want to be people that thrive. We want that to be the banner over us this year. When Paul was writing to the Ephesians, he said, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now that's the language of thriving. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, some translations are exceedingly abundantly, than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. That's the language of someone who's thriving, whose who's perspective on life is spirit-filled, full of liberty, full of passion, full of direction, full of life. And that's what I hope will be the reality of our lives this year. So we want to thrive. And there'll be areas in our life where we are doing well, but there'll always be the challenge of those areas in our life where we're not thriving, where we need to probably pull out some weeds. Now, I'm a, I'm a bit of one, you know those old fuddy-duddies that love their lawn and like a really green lawn? Well, I'm a fanatical lawn person. I hate weeds. No? Yeah, that's the Queensland coming out. It is, it is, it is. 
but part of the challenge in our spiritual life is, is if we're going to really thrive after God, we've got to be really clear on what it might be that's going to hinder us or what is hindering us from thriving. Every plant has to thrive, but it has a fight to get there. And you and I are like that as well. We need to be conscious of or aware of the things that might hold us back in our life and be very intentional about dealing with it. Now, when I talk about thriving, I mean physical, spiritual, emotional, mental. All those, all those aspects come together to make us whole beings. So you might be a really strong Christian, but you might be way overweight so that you can't get anything done. You've got no energy, you're tired. So that's one of the areas that you're going to have to deal with. To really thrive as, as someone that God can use, it's no good if you can't get out the front door. That might be the one aspect of your life that you need to deal with. It could be a mental problem. It could be those doubts and fears that cripple you, that you say, well, I'm not good enough, I'm not able, I've had these past hurts in my life. It might be a mental challenge. It might be an emotional challenge that's holding you back. It might be just lack of discipline that you don't have a strong spiritual foundation where you read God's word every day, where you hear his voice, where you have a good prayer life. We can break it down into really bite-sized, manageable things that we need to tackle. And that's what I hope we'll do this year. And really, when we do that, we're fertilising, aren't we? We're looking at the part of our life that needs a bit of encouragement and we're going, what can I do to feed my life? So I do thrive so that I'm a, a tree that stands strong, that when storms of life come, I don't think go and get blown over, but I'm able to stand whatever comes my way. And I want to pick up a story this morning about the call of Elisha. Now, Elisha was a, a prophet in the Old Testament, um, and he followed Elijah. He, he was the prophet that came after Elijah. Now, Elijah was known for being an incredible man of God, but Elisha received a double portion of God's blessing and anointing, as opposed to Elijah. And it's an interesting story because I think at the start of the year, if we're thinking about that theme of thriving, then what Elisha had to do is probably what we're going to have to do, and that's answer the question, am I all in for God? And if I am all in for God, then great, let's run. But if I'm not all in for God, what is it that holds me back? The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. And also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel, Malholah, to succeed you as a prophet. So Elijah went there and found Elisha, son of Saphat. He was ploughing with the twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. So Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him and then Elijah left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye and then I will come with you. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned his ploughing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. When Elijah came and put his cloak on Elisha, he was passing on the mantle and the authority to be the anointed prophet of God. That was his call to ministry. That was God saying, I've picked you out, young man. You're going to have this role in the kingdom of Israel. But it's Elisha's response to that call that I think is really interesting. 
because he took his career, he took his income, he took his past, he took the thing that had, you know, he's obviously a prosperous man to have 12 pair of oxen playing in the field, he was well off, but he knew that for him to be sold out for God, he would have to destroy those plows and he would have to kill the oxen because he'd be tempted to go back to his old life. He had to destroy some things in his life for him to really be sold out for God, to follow the cause of God. If you think about it, that's a pretty drastic thing to do. That would be like if God said to Dave, Dave, I want you to be a prophet, and he would walk down to his factory, walk around with petrol and set it alight and incinerate it. (laughs) It, It's pretty radical, isn't it, for him to do that? But Elijah didn't ask him to do that. God didn't say, Elisha, you need to do this. Elisha, with his own thinking, his own, you know, Consciousness of what God was calling him into went, I think I'm going to be tempted to go back. I think if I don't cut that off, I might never completely give of myself. I might be, you know, half-hearted. I might not go all in for God. And so he did something pretty radical, I think, to make sure he could fulfil the destiny that God had for him. So at the start of the new year, we're probably going to have to ask ourselves some questions like, what do we need to burn? Like, what is it in Mark Wilson's life that will stop me from fulfilling the destiny that God has put on my heart? We sang this morning, I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, God has set us apart. So there's not one person in this building that God doesn't have a plan for. But the question is, are we fulfilling that plan? And if we're not, it's because something's got us derailed or something's captured our attention that shouldn't or we're, you know, we're, we're, we're focused on things that we shouldn't be. And I believe that we're going to have to burn those things and eliminate them from our lives if they hold us back. Because the temptation will be to go back to them, to go back to the old way of life. So in going all out for God, I need to ask what holds me back what impedes my growth and my well-being, what trips me up, what keeps me captive to old, outdated things, what robs my joy, what drains my passion. And if we can answer that some of these things do hold us back, then we need to have a plan to kill them, to eliminate them from our lives. It could be spiritual, it could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be mental. What I believe Elisha did was that he saw his life through God's eyes. He had a real clear understanding of who he was and he was able to decide in that moment that for me to be sold out for God, I've got to destroy my income and livelihood. It's going to trip me up. My mind's always going to be back there. I'm going to be tempted to go back when it gets hard. And so it was like the vision that he had of himself and what God was calling him to do, he was able to see that through God's perspective and make that decision. And I think sometimes our vision of who we are and what God's calling us to do and what our potential is and what capacity we have gets blinded. And I think that's why Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. So we would 
have a perspective of who we are that is very clear and very precise. Now, Elijah knew that. He knew that God was going to provide for him, so he had no fear about you know, burning the ploughs, cutting the cattle up. It was a radical thing to do. And I think for all of us, there's an opportunity at the start of the new year to ask God to open our eyes, to see where we are, where God wants to take us, so that we see it from God's perspective. Because I could ask Kelly how her life was going. She might get up here today and she might go, well, life's tough, I don't really like work, I'm a bit lonely, um, this isn't going to plan, this isn't going to plan. Now I might ask Kelly in another month's time the same question and I might get a totally different perspective because the way that she's viewing who she is and what God's put in front of her has a different attitude to it because the eyes of her heart are open. You think about all the blessings that we have. We're coming up for Australia Day. We live in an incredibly blessed country. How often do we complain? I don't have enough money. I need more this. I need more that. We don't have no right to, really. But we don't see it because the eyes of our heart aren't enlightened and we're not grateful for the little bit that we do have or the lot that we do have. And, you know, when you go to a third world country or something and you rub shoulders with other Christians there, you realise their gratitude because their eyes are open in a different way to us. And I think the danger is, is that our, our, our spiritual eyes aren't shut, but they're not fully open to who we are and what God's called us to do and what we can do for the kingdom and, and the opportunities that lie in front of us. And we can go to work every day and say, oh, what a pain, I've got to work. This is a terrible place. They're all uncouth, unheathen people, none of them are saved. Or you could say, isn't it fantastic? God's put me in an environment where I can be light. <laughs> Eyes of your heart are closed or open. Oh, I've got to go to school this year. I'm in year 11. How terrible is that going to be? You know, I'm going to have to learn something. Eyes of your heart could be open and say, hey, well, this is a great year for me. Great opportunity for me to grow you know, to grow in character and stature and, you know, to learn and really set myself up for the rest of it. It's all about how our perspective taints things in the positive or the negative. And I love what Elisha did. There's no 40-page there's no dialogue about Elisha wrestling with what he was or wasn't going to do. Elijah said, go and do this. Here's my cloak. Here's the proof that God's anointed you. And his response to that was, I'm going to burn my past. I'm not going to hang on to that. I'm going to step into my future without being in this tug of war about how I'm going to do that. I'm all in for God. We need to be all in for God. And the moment that those clouds and those doubts and those fears start to flood our mind, we're really saying, I'm still trying to plough the same old field with the same old oxen. And God wants to do new things in 2015. If we always do what we have always done, we will always get what we've always got. Does that make sense? If we always do the same thing, week after week, day after day, we will always get what we've always got. Now, that could be a good thing. But it could be the fact that you need to do something different to get to a different place in your life. You might need to tackle that problem in a different way so that you get victory in it. Because if we just get into the wrong pattern, then we're going to, sit, we're going to get into that rut and that routine. And I think what Elisha did was go, no, I'm not step, ever going to step back into my past. That's gone. That chapter's closed. I can't go back there because I've burnt it. 
And we might need to burn it, whatever it is, so that we can be free of it and walk into the fullness of what God wants. Now, I don't know whether Elisha knew himself really well and went, well, if I don't eliminate my livelihood, I'll probably slip back into my past. But he had the challenge. So I want to do something different today and um, it's going to get you out of your comfort zone. Because there's so much that we don't see that God has done, that he's doing right now, and that he wants to do in our future. We just don't see it. Because our eyes aren't open, our spiritual eyes. You know, your heart has eyes. You can see through your heart. And God wants our hearts to be open to the fullness of the knowledge of God in us that we are new creations, that we are no longer under condemnation. They're basic spiritual truths that are deep roots that stand us apart from everyone else because we can suck from the roots the truth of God and say, no, you can lie about me all you want, but I know who I am. I know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I know that. Why? Because that's where my roots are tapped into, that truth. You understand what I'm trying to say? If our roots are shallow, we've got nothing to draw from. And so if we're going to thrive, we need to be people of the world. Word, not the world. (laughs) We need to dig in deep. We need to know the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means deep deposit, big deposit. So if you get into a situation where doubts and fears come, automatically the word of God is negating all that negativity because you're sucking God's life into you. And then you can branch out and you can have impact because you're strong and you're sturdy, you're like a tree by the river. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. I want you to thrive this year. Not because I just want to have 12 months where we have a good year. I want you to thrive because it's God's promise that you should and it's God's mandate that we should live victoriously and our attitude should be radically different to the world and our passion should be so consuming for us because of all that we're drawing into us and giving out. Does that make sense? I want you to thrive this year. Now I'm going to stretch every one of you this morning. I want you to minister to one another. Because the Bible says that God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And so often in our churches, one poor bunny up the front does all the ministry and everyone else just sits and listens. 
that dynamic's not wrong, but it's not right either. Because in this body is a richness and a wealth of experience and God wants to use us. So in 2015, we're going to do a lot more waiting on God, responding to God, ministering to one another. And I know that's a challenge for some people. But if you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you've always got. If you've never prayed for somebody else, you'll never get the blessing of seeing God use you. Now, I know public speaking or praying in public is probably the hardest thing to do. But if you're going to thrive in God, you've got to overcome your fear. You've got to step out beyond what you've always done and try something new because in you is the power of God. That was what that verse in Ephesians said, wasn't it? The power of Christ, that is in you. So unless you get put into opportunities where you can let that power out and let that blessing out. Like I had the privilege of going to Fiji with these young guys a couple of months ago. You know, they sit here every week, they're quite quiet, but put them in a scenario where they get to be used by God, it's incredible to see what comes out. And I believe that for every one of us. We're no different. We all struggle. We're all on a learning curve. No one's going to say the perfect prayer, and we're not always going to get it right. But we've got to empower and equip people to thrive. And I believe the only way you can thrive is to actually be put in the situation where you grow. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to, I'll pray for somebody and I'll show you what I want you to do. I want you to anoint. We'll get into groups of three, three guys, three ladies, and I want you to anoint the person's eyes. So get them to shut their eyelids, okay, and put some oil on their eyes and anoint them and pray over them that God will open their eyes this year so that they can see themselves like God sees them. Not through the clouds of doubt and fear and despair and past failures, but that they will see themselves as God sees them. And pray a blessing on them for this year. Let's not be shy. Let's really step out and trust that God will put words in our mouth, that he will enable us to really set people apart for the year. I want to see Peter have a great year this year. And the best way I can do that is to pray God's favour and God's love all over him and just encourage him to go strong for God. I can't do much else for him, but I can pray and I can believe that God wants to bless him and I can ask God to watch over him and protect him. That doesn't mean he's going to have an easy year. He might have a really tough year. But I pray that he, when he looks back at the end of this year, he will say, I've thrived. I've really grown this year. I've put my deep roots down deeper and I'm going strong for God. So can you do that? But it's just a simple way we can bless and encourage one another to make 2015 the best it can be. 